Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to VLGA Connect and the governance update for this week. Now, a bit of bad news. Steve Cooper has been unavoidably detained on governance business. He's going to try and join us very, very shortly, but it actually gives me the opportunity to spend a bit of time on another topic that we've been hoping to get to for a while, and that is the recently completed local government rating review, which was handed down towards the end of 2020 with 56 recommendations, 30 uh, odd of which the government has accepted either in full or in part, but 18 uh, have not been accepted um, due to COVID for the most part. I'm going to spend some time now speaking with Mark Davies about the rating review and why he thinks it's perhaps a missed opportunity. Mark Davies, a former local government CEO and a consultant to the sector, joins me now to talk about the recently completed rating review. Mark, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Can you tell us a bit about what was the scope of this review from the outset? Uh, well, look, it was a fairly wide-ranging review, the terms of reference. Um, uh, so I guess the key one was around the equity and fairness of the rating system, um, how it sort of interacts with taxation. I think... Uh, um, many ratepayers are a bit confused about it being a tax, but instead, actually, that's you know what rates are. Um, also, having a look at the way properties are valued, um, so the valuer general now undertakes all the valuations on an annual basis across local government, and just uh, looking at how that process uh, is carried out and how transparent it is, and I guess just looking at some of the other components of the rating system keeping in mind that uh, despite the fact that we have a new local government act 2020 the rating provisions we're still operating under the 1989 act um, because we're waiting for the outcome <clears throat> of this uh, of this review so yeah it was fairly wide ranging and i guess it's probably worth uh, remembering because uh, this really started from a campaign from the victorian farmers federation prior to the last state election uh, where there'd been some significant uh, increases in uh, farming valuations, which had moved the rate burden to them. And, and I think they saw that, you know, there was an opportunity to have a review and they, the timing was right. So really, yes, the VFF were, the, I guess, the key drivers of this that really came from um, the basis of farming uh, properties. But it certainly has relevance across the whole sector. So pretty broad by the sounds of it. I know it took quite some time to conduct and it was ultimately delivered as promised by the end of last calendar year. Who actually conducted the review, Mark? Uh, there was a, a, a panel. Um, I don't have their names, but there was a senior, certainly senior um, uh, local government uh, ex-CEOs, uh, former Value of General, um, uh, former Commission Central Service Commission. So quite a quite an impressive uh, panel of people who were uh, brought together to undertake the review. And, and it, was, it was very comprehensive. And having a read through through the review, they'd, they'd done a lot of research into other jurisdictions and overseas. They'd spent a lot of time actually going out and around the state and actually talking to uh, local government professionals, CEOs, counsellors, ratepayers. So They'd, they'd really done a really good job of doing all that research and, and backgrounding to sort of bring the review together. So it was uh, an, an expert panel quite uh, clearly. Um, in terms of the findings, I, know, I think there were 50-something findings from the review. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. What, what were the most significant ones in your view? Yeah, 56 recommendations, so quite a lot. Um, and I, well, maybe initially, you know, because it was such a broad range of 
review, the recommendations are sort of grouped together under particular headings. So one of the areas they looked at was trying to make general rates sort of a bit more sort of transparent, uh, better targeting rate relief, um, particularly in this sort of COVID environment that we're in, you know, how does the uh, rating system respond to, um, to rate payers who are unable to pay their rates or having payment difficulties? Um, I guess just generally improving the confidence in the rating system. It's a complex system. Uh, I don't think many ratepayers really understand how it operates. And um, also looking at sort of some alternative rate arrangements. So if we just pick out a few, uh, recommendation one, which I, I think is a good one. Um, you may recall, Chris, that there's been a number of challenges to local governments about whether they could legally uh, levy rates on properties. And so number one is really about saying that um, that it describes rates as a tax and makes it very clear that councils do have the legal um, power to levy rates on properties. So that's that's a that's a good one. And I think also just clearing up the fact that it is a tax. So, um, uh, you know, for a lot of rate payers, I think they, they struggle a bit. They sort of, you know, they think about, well, I'm paying rates, you know, what services do I use? You know, what's the connection between the, my, the amount of rates I pay and how many services I consume? And I think by making it very clear that it is a tax on, on property um, and there isn't actually no connection between the amount you pay and the amount of services that you consume. So a pretty good one to start off with. Um, I'm assuming though this uh, review or the outcome doesn't change the fact that it's still the only tax that gets levied that you receive a bill for, effectively. Uh, that's correct. I'm sure having been a CEO, if we could find some other way, maybe through the tax system to levy rates, that might make it less transparent. But you're quite right. It, um, it, it, it continues to be the only tax that we get a bill for. Um, and uh, I guess yeah, we, we might argue that's good for transparency, but it does, again, you know, it puts it up in uh, headlights about what it's all about. Well, well, it does, and it obscures the fact that it's a very small percentage of the tax that we all actually pay, which uh, uh, creates problems, I guess, for having that discussion about uh, the fairness and the equity. Uh, the other one was really um, having a look at how the value of general undertakes valuation. So if I sort of go back to um, the Victorian Farmers Federation sort of, uh, view on all this, that uh, there was a view that it's not very transparent. You know, obviously, value, property valuations is a complex area. Uh, the premise is that they 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 look for um, sales of similar type properties, you know, in the area um, when they're undertaking valuations, and use that as the basis for seeing the market value. Which, in a residential environment, works fine. There's a lot of turnover uh, of residential properties, but if you take a farm property, maybe up in the Mallee, where uh, properties don't turn over very often. And there's been a lot of aggregation of properties. So really neighbours buying at other neighbours. And so um, often prices are pushed up well above market price. And so there were some questions about, well, how transparent is, how, how could the value of general set a valuation for a property if there's only been one or none sales you know, in recent history? So it was really about getting, this recommendation is really about trying to get the valuation of the value of general to publish online or make transparent about how he actually goes about undertaking valuations, and in particular those really difficult ones like farming properties where there's not many uh, sales, or even shopping centres. You know, another very complex, you know, property. Uh, um, and again, shopping centres don't turn over very often. How do they go about sort of valuing? So just trying to make that all a bit more sort of transparent, which I think, uh, which is, I think is a good thing. Um, 
In terms of the, so the equity side of the argument, probably the only recommendation that really went to that was looking at um, averaging valuation changes. So at the moment, valuations occur on an annual basis. So, um, and, and, and so if the valuation of a particular property goes up quite considerably in one year, then the rates will be based on that. Um, and so you can imagine, you know, from year to year, there can be quite large fluctuations in property values depending on the market. And so what Recommendation 7 is really saying is, well, look, it might be better to have an averaging approach where we maybe we look after over the last four or five years of changing in property valuations and we average those, just trying to smooth, I guess, those really sort of sudden changes in rate increases. Uh, which is consistent with the new act, which talks about that there needs to be some stability in the, uh, mm. the amount of rates that ratepayers pay. So that's probably the only one I could find that was did something about equity. Um, you might argue that it might do something about fairness as well. But you believe there's possibly a missed opportunity. I guess if we had to do a bit of a history lesson, um, prior to rate capping, of course, decisions about rate increases uh, at the local government level obviously were made by individual councils over many years. And so the size of council's rate bases, you know, reflects a number of things. One, it obviously reflects the amount of properties that are in the in the municipality, um, the, the, the number and level of services that it's providing. Um, and so over many years, the rate base has grown in accordance with that. And so we could take an example where a council might have had a bit of an aggressive approach to increasing rates, you know, maybe five, six, seven or eight percent per year over a number of years. And that would have grown their rate base quite considerably, um, as opposed to maybe a council that's taken a very conservative approach. And so their rate base is it's only really grown in accordance with the growth in, in the number of properties. So one of the problems, I guess, then is that when rate capping came in, it effectively just locked in everybody's rate base. And so the ability of a council to, to adjust its rate base to take account of Know, significant issues that's focusing around uh, viability or uh, asset uh, renewal is a very difficult process through the Central Services Commission. So one of the one of the recommendations, I guess, that the VFF put out there, which is probably a bit probably a bit out there, but is sort of talking about well, you know, do we need some sort of equalisation of the rate basis? Do do we need to sort of have a look and say, well, look, if we've got two councils that are that are neighbours, they're essentially the same size, providing the same level of services, etc., and yet um, the rates in one are considerably higher than another. Well, you know, should we do something about that? But in, an, in essence, the state government does do that through government grants. And so for smaller rural councils who, um, who are struggling to you know, deliver a standard or, or core set of services, the government subsidises those. So one way to deal with that could be the subsidisation process, which is already sort of happening. Or uh, we do a large exercise and actually go back and, and sort of group councils together and do an equalisation and maybe reset the rates. Now, it's unlikely that the state government would entertain such an idea, but I guess it just goes to the heart of sort of the problem with the sort of equity and fairness of the whole system is that there, when you look between councils, that there's not a lot of equity in terms of the level of rates that are charged and the level of services, et cetera, that people receive. So, look, Probably a lost opportunity. The other thing is uh, we only seem to get a new local government act every about three decades. So we had a 58 and an 89. Uh, we've got a 2020, so I probably won't see the next one. So probably a lost opportunity. You know, rewriting a local government act is a big deal. Um, so look, I think the review 
it does do a lot around fairness, a little bit around equity, but I think um, yeah, not a lot in it, I guess, for all right, really appreciate those insights, Mark. It's probably a good thing we only get a new act every three decades or so. I can I can just hear people in the sector just thinking, gosh, if we had to go through this uh, more regularly in terms of the uh, the work that's required to implement changes, uh, it would be a bit a bit daunting. But anyway, uh, thank you very much for your time on VLGA Connect to talk about the new uh, rating review. We do appreciate. It. Thanks, Chris. And look, better late than never, Steve Cooper, you've walked in the door. Um, we had to do some fancy footwork to fill the first 10 minutes or so of the program, but good to have you here. Where I have know. you been? <laughs> I've been tied up on vitally important governance matters, Chris, and I just couldn't get there, but I, I was pleased to catch the last bit of what uh, what Mark had to say, the uh, the analysis of the rating review, and um, and I agree with him completely uh, regarding, A, that it's a missed opportunity, and Perhaps Mark didn't say, but also I think there are matters outside the terms of reference that probably deserve a bit of review as well in terms of reliance on rate revenue. Yeah, good and point. And, and I do update. wonder if if COVID hadn't hit, whether there would have been a very different outcome to that whole process. And maybe it's one that the sector will somehow go back to. Yeah, I think there's a... It's a fair point too, Chris, about COVID that that has really impacted not only the private sector, but on the capacity of government to do this sort of work when it's been so distracted elsewhere. We really appreciate Mark's time to explain um, that to us today. Uh, a couple of things that I did want to get your thoughts on. So hey, can I get in though up. first, Chris? Yeah, Sorry sure. to interrupt, yeah. but congratulations on Local Government Roundup. I've listened to a couple of episodes already and um, I think just a terrific innovation and well done on sort of going outside of Victoria and getting some fascinating examples of what happens elsewhere. Thank you, Steve. I'm really enjoying doing it. I, I wasn't sure it would strike a chord, but the response has been fabulous, actually. Yeah. Um, and at the so... risk of upsetting a multinational, I like to describe it as the roundup that's not toxic, but um, <laughs> let's go any further. <laughs> No, I think that's that's my new catchphrase. We're going to have to redo all the artwork now, the roundup that's not toxic. Thank you for that. Um, oh, there, but a couple of things that caught my eye that uh, um, I think warrant a little bit of unpacking, if you might. So situation going on down at Frankston where the council has um, uh, it resolved to undertake an arbitration process with one of its councillors over alleged, I must say, alleged um, misconduct, which relates to social media posts. But the thing that I thought was really interesting here, Steve, is when you see how the vote to proceed uh, took place, seven councillors voted for it. The two that voted against it were the councillor himself and the son of the councillor, who's also a councillor. Um, and, and some people are saying, well, is there not a conflict of some sort there? Um, I know you've looked into this. Yeah, and I must admit, I did a bit of a double take and then thought, hang on, there is a schedule of um, exemptions. And I was reminded that the exemptions are in two spots. So in the Act, it talks about some sort of more general conditions uh, for exemption. For example, if a reasonable person wouldn't reasonably think there's a conflict, then there's not, etc. But then going to the integrity regulations from uh, the governance integrity regulations from October last year, there are a list of more specific uh, exemptions to a conflict. And one of those is considerations by council of whether to refer a matter to arbitration. Of course, that raises an interesting question as to what the legislators, and it's not kind of what were they thinking? I think they were quite clearly thinking that the councillor who's the subject of such an application ought to be in the room. I 
sort of wonder and we'll never know whether it was actually contemplated that relatives of that councillor would also be involved and perhaps um, form a similar view. That's, that's the question, isn't it? So um, all above board, but what it has also done is raised the question about what other familial relationships are in place on councils around the state? And we're one other at uh, Manningham. Um, I don't know the answer beyond that. So if any of our listeners are aware of other examples, we'd love to know about that. Yeah, look, it's it's a fair point. Chris, can I make a, a comment more generally? And, and it's not about Frankston. It's a, what I'm about to say is just a general comment. Yep. And it's, I think it's a useful reminder at times that the, the legally correct answer isn't always the ethically correct answer. And considering both of those things um, on matters more broadly is often a wise thing to do. Very good point, Steve. Now, the other one that caught my eye, and I did send you an email about this as well, is a, is a planning matter in, uh, I forget the, is it Bayside? I think it might be Bayside. It is Bayside, uh, is Bayside. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, involving a very well-known international uh, basketballer who's had a, a development overturned by the council's planning committee um, and against the advice of the council's planners. Mm. It reminded me that this whole process to an outsider looking in can appear to be a bit hard to fathom, um, but it's just the way the system works, isn't it? Oh, look, I think it is, Chris, and, and it's a really tough gig for councillors um, because there is often... Um, a whole lot of community uh, activism around town planning matters, uh, both for and against particular applications, often against. And the council needs to sift through the report that's provided by the expert officers. But ultimately, I think, Chris, the, uh, the, the decision of the council, uh, whether it's for or against, can be appealed typically by either party um, to VCAT or, if necessary, to the Supreme Court. And I think it's always a useful um, reminder for any player in the process that uh, ultimately it is typically VCAT that might be the final arbiter. Yes. So you or in this particular a... case, referee, given that we're talking <laughs> about well-known basketballer. Indeed. Uh, so far from a slam dunk, yes. Uh, we'll keep we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, Steve, a professional note this week, uh, we've been keeping a tally on the number of CEO positions around the state that are that are open. Uh, and there's another one going to be added to the list very soon. Peter Brown at Colac Opway has this week announced his intention to step down in July after three years in the role. Really nice fellow, Peter, and we wish him the best with uh, whatever he's going to be doing next. A great servant of Colac Opway and Horsham before that for, for many years. And I'm with you. Nice man. And um, yeah, I wish Peter all the best. And uh, did we talk about Kelly Grigsby last week on the program? I know I've talked about it on the, on the uh, local news roundup. Kelly Grigsby from Wyndham is uh, going to be the new CEO of the city of Hobart from May. What a fabulous get for the city of Hobart is all I can say um, about that. And good luck to Kelly uh, with Absolutely. that project. She's got a fine history of achievement at Wyndham. She certainly does, and I've had a chat with her. She's very excited, understandably so, to be uh, relocating down there. And she's been at Wyndham as the CEO there for, I think it's six years. So she certainly made a massive contribution in that time. And again, she goes with all of our best wishes. Absolutely. Hear, hear. Steve, uh, that's probably it for this week. Slightly longer edition than usual while we, uh, we waited around for you, but we spent the time wisely learning about the rating review. Thank you. <laughs> Time well spent. Thanks, Chris. See you next week. See you very soon. Stephen Cooper 
with us as always here on the Governance Update from VLGA Connect. <music>